Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To get even more content from me and Andrew, sign up for the Focus Compounding app. The Focus Compounding app costs $7.95 a month. It comes with a bunch of 2,000-word articles from me each week, a fresh batch of five-minute videos from the both of us, along with one bonus extra-long episode of the podcast each Saturday, and immediate access to our complete backlog of 200-plus episodes. To sign up, go to focuscompounding.com app or wherever apps are sold. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding. Sitting next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. I can't believe it's already September. It's halfway through September. I can't believe it. It's okay. We got a couple months left. It feels like until, I mean, it's true, until that we're going to the holiday season, best time of the year. You uh-huh. say, are you a big Halloween guy? Do you give out candy for Halloween? Do people even go to your place on Halloween? No. Got it. Halloween. And then we got Thanksgiving, Christmas. This is the best time of the year, Jeff. This is the giving spirit. Everyone's in a good mood Okay. into the end of the year. It's been a good one. It's been a wild one. <laughs> well, thank you everybody so much for tuning in. If this is the first time you're tuning in, hit that subscribe button. Today's video, we are going to be going over the cash flow statement. Okay. That's... We just went over the balance sheet mm-hmm. and uh, we are going to go over the cash flow statement right. and go and see, you know, what you look at first, how you interpret things, and then kind of go from there. So we are looking at Dave and Buster's, right? And uh, here we are. Got so a few open. things that are interesting right away. The number one that stands out to me is um, that they have three years. I was gonna say that's I like that they have three years. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I, normally I'm having to go back and forth. It's easier. Yeah. But a lot of companies use two years. They just show you two years. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I'd be curious what people, so the first things I look at, all right, for the cash flow statement are just simply, uh, and this is easier because there's three years of it right here. What's the net cash provided by operating activities? Just jump right down to there and I eyeball that. And then I eyeball the capital expenditures here. They're very even, not exactly even like there was 140, uh, I mean, sorry, $120 million more generated in, in, um, last year in uh, CFFO over CapEx. But overall, what we're seeing is that it's pretty close. This Mm -hmm. is unusually close. And that might be telling us that there's a lot of growth CapEx at this company, maybe. And so we have to learn more about that. But this is what I do first. I just assume, okay, pretend all the CapEx is like maintenance CapEx or whatever. How much free cash flow are they generating each year? You know, mm-hmm. and um, that that's the main thing that I look at. Don't spend a lot of time looking at the bottom items, cash flows for financing activities. And then I do spend a little time looking at some other things if we go up on the um, cash flows from operating activities. There's actually some kind of complicated ones here uh, for this company, which is interesting. But they're not necessarily very big items, but just things to point out that change the cash flows versus the income stuff. So if you look, it's very helpful that I, I don't know if people think about this, but because gap accounting stuff that is presented for us is always going to use the reconciliation method. So it's going to take income and then move from there to get you cash flows. It never uses the direct method of actually counting cash um, for you. That's way too difficult for a company to keep track of. So um, it actually shows net income right at the top. Mm-hmm. 
So if you've never you know, thought about that before, you can actually find the net income number right at the top of the cash flow statement. So balance sheet first, then right to cash flows. Um, so the big item here, right, is depreciation and amortization, right? Really big item. Yep. So if you look, I think it's about even net income and depreciation and amortization each year. So in a sense, your cash flows, meaning like your EBITDA, is coming half from actual earnings that you reported and half from your depreciation, which means it's pretty important what actual level of CapEx you need. Um, and it seems high, the no amount of CapEx that they actually need here. But maybe they don't need it. Maybe they've been growing a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they're expanding. When you look at numbers, and this is something I'll do, like, so my eyes would probably go directly to net income okay. and then to cash flow from operating activities and right. see that dispersion there. So that'd be like, okay, what's going on there? Mm -hmm. But I'm constantly trying to add context to these numbers. So I'll remember that, you know, it's an $800 million market cap. So I'm kind of like thinking, okay, well, let's say the average is, I don't know, 300 million over the past three years and it's currently trading at seven to eight hundred million dollar market cap mm -hmm. to me that just kind of adds context to the story that's just something i yeah. do yeah i think it makes a lot of sense the other thing is if you notice any weird items that you weren't expecting there and stuff and whether they're meaningful so loss on debt refinancing is an unexpected item here but it's not very meaningful there is one that's a little more meaningful um which is the uh loss on disposal of fixed assets so um, it's not a huge number, but it's interesting because they've lost money every year on their disposal of fixed assets. So then it's a question of like, does that mean that they sell off some of their equipment every year and mm -hmm. lose money on? Is that what it is? Something like that, you know? Um, so we can go to a, a, another company. Do you really quick though, do you look at, for example, when, uh, this line item accrued liabilities in 2019 yep. and 2018, it was, you know, 20 million. And then it just jumped to 47 million in, in 2020. Is that something that you would like go and investigate, see what happened? Is that something that would jump out to you? Um, that is, that's accrued liabilities there. Yeah. Um, and yes. So I would look at that over time. But my guess is that that's going in the same direction over time and it's probably getting bigger. You are, however, right that it doubled, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. But we only have three years, so it's possible there was just a coincidence with the last two years being the same sort of size. But yeah, if, if it had been like 20 million every year and then suddenly jumps to 40 million, then I, I would potentially... Um, think about that mm -hmm. uh but yeah the the main thing is whether it's those items working capital items is whether it's um always positive or always negative or something like that a lot of people ask about it and for things the most common one is like people say inventory yeah for a lot of companies inventory will swing back and forth that way so it'll be a contributor to cash flow over earnings in one year and then um reverse next year so let's look at uh berkshire hathaway <laughs> cash flow statement yeah that's, yeah, pretty useless, but yeah, we'll do it. Go ahead. So you got uh, three years. You'd mm -hmm. like to see that. Um, but uh, so their net income could be all over the place because of the way that they have mm -hmm. to account for that. Um, uh, how would you analyze like a investing company, I guess like a conglomerate? How would you typically try to analyze that? I mean, you can't. It's useless because they own finance companies, which cash flow statements for finance companies are just not 
useful to see. What's worse here is Berkshire is completely confusing because remember the depreciation and amortization is including things like railroads mm -hmm. and utilities in the same company that's including stuff for um, unearned premiums and things like yeah. that. Uh, because it's an insurance company. It actually also has a finance operation to it, too. So it can be very confusing that way. Um, you can, however, see that... Um, well, you can... If people wonder what float is and stuff, you actually can see that. So changes in operating assets and liabilities does actually show you that that's float, basically. So what it's showing you is loss and loss adjustment expenses, deferred charges, reinsurance assumed. Yeah, we won't get into all that. And honor and premiums. But it's... Um, those items, if people are like, how do I find out what the float is? There's a better way of doing it with the balance sheet, but which is what I encourage you to do is to find the float on the balance sheet. But if you actually want to see the float coming onto a company and stuff, it is that you can see it in the changes in the, in the assets and liabilities that they show there. So you can see that there's items here like, um, in 2017, right? We have a very big item for loss and loss adjustment expenses. Um, but that isn't a cash outflow at that moment so this gets pretty complicated this way mm -hmm. but berkshire takes in in its insurance operations it takes in cash and immediately um charges itself for losses and things um and it then has cash on hand when it does that mm -hmm. and then the reinsurance thing works pretty much the same way so yeah, you can see that it takes on sometimes a lot of uh, takes on sometimes a lot of assets, a lot of cash um, that you can see. If you go all the way down, let's see if you go all the way down. Does it have this information for you? Let's see. Position of treasury stock. Uh, yeah, if it bought back stock. Mm -hmm. So where you want me to go? It is. Wait, cash. Okay. Um, oh, there we go. So it has restricted cash end of year. It actually breaks it down. That's what I thought it would do. So if you can see, it separates its insurance operations. So you can see that its insurance operations have almost all the cash in them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that just gives you an idea of where they house it. Let's look at Microsoft. Okay. Let's it see. Financial statements and supplementary data, right? Let's find it. Here we are. All right. All right. So first thing, net income they have here, three years mm -hmm. again. Very nice. Um, cash flow from operations. There's a dispersion between net cash from operations and their net income. Yeah. Why is that? So um, they have, let's see here. They have quite a bit higher cash from operations then they do their net income right correct okay so we can look at why that is a few numbers jump out right away <laughs> as you'd expect stock-based compensation mm -hmm. so stock-based compensation is there but the bigger number is depreciation amortization and other okay and then there also should be an item down here that should be a source of float too which would be your honored revenue is a common one so honor and revenue and deferred revenue are basically going to be the same thing. Um, it's float, as we talked about before. So I don't know if people... Is it confusing to me what honor and revenue is? 
uh, it's like a subscription business, right? Yeah. So, um, like if we get a, a annual member, you take in the cash today, but the way you account for it is monthly. Right. So it's a matching off thing, which is a big principle in all sorts of gap accounting things that you have to keep in mind is that what they're, there's two things that I'm worried about. One is that you actually book things. So like there's an event that takes place. That's one thing that I think people get confused about and stuff. You don't carry land on your books at the value of the land unless you like buy or sell some land to have an actual transaction. That's a big principle. But the other principle is that you want to match off things in each uh, period, match off the expenses and the revenue. And so like depreciation stuff, one thing that confuses people, I think, sometimes is it's not like a sinking fund for a future thing that you're going to pay. It's just that you're taking out an expense that you had and smoothing it over time instead of having one big lump there. So the, what they're trying to match with revenue here is if people pay you up front and stuff, you want to match that with the cost over time of providing the service. So like you said, over those 12 months or whatever that you pay, uh, that you actually provide the service. So the result is that you get some float from that. Yeah, I mean, it's like... I'm sure office has annual memberships and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. people pay up front and then, you know, it's, it's great business. Yeah. Yeah. And even balance sheets that are prepared on a, um, t- so we're looking at the cash flow statement, but just so people know, even a balance sheet that's prepared on a, a, um, at any time for a business that has monthly things, you'd still be in the middle of a month. So you, you just like, you'd be in the middle of a pay period and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So you do have some amount anyway, um, from that. So, yeah, you have a large amount of uh, flows from all of that. The one thing, there's a tax thing too, I guess, that, right? That was meaningful in one year. Income taxes. Was income taxes meaningful? Yeah, there's a very big item there that I don't know. Could that be the um, new tax, uh, Trump's tax thing? Yeah, I don't know what that is. So we just have to look into that. But mm-hmm. anyway, what you should see, hopefully, I guess, is a more stable number in terms of cash flow from operations over time than, in fact, you're get you're seeing in net income, which probably makes sense because there's a huge decrease in net income in the year where there's that tax thing. Mm-hmm. So whatever that was was a tax charge, I guess, maybe. So that hit earnings but wouldn't have hit any sort of cash thing you know we should look at we've been talking a lot about um ge on here and one thing i haven't done but i did want to do we could do it on here is look at their cash flow statement from about 10 years ago because of quick fs we get 20 years of financial data how Mm -hmm. cool is that all right let's see we go to their cash flow statement right and we could go back. So let's see. We see free cash flow there. So I just want to see like the dispersion between, you know, net income to cash flow from operations and what it looks like. Okay. We can look at things like that. So there we can do that. We can also look at like um uh key ratios would be a really good way of seeing that actually, I think. So if we have yeah, so free cash flow margin and net income margin. So theoretically a company would have pretty similar numbers if it was some of the companies we invest in stuff do Mm -hmm. so if it doesn't generate float or use up assets that way um then like tie up things in in capital then it would basically be flat in terms of the two of them um like 
a software business or something that isn't really having float would look that way. A TV station might look that way, things like that. So um, then you have companies that generate a little float and then you have like heavy manufacturers and stuff, which might actually have much lower free cash flow than net income. So if we look at GE over time, for one, we can just like you, because you're in Excel, you can just like highlight the two, um, I guess you have to enable editing, but do you have to enable editing? I think so. Um, you have to uh, go there, yeah, like, so you could select both column, both rows, just like, I mean, start it with 9.8% and then, you know, click on 9.8% and go over. Where are we talking about? Here on net income margin. Oh, got you. Okay. Yeah, so select that and the row below it together, and then all the way over, and it should give you, uh, I mean, if you do each of them, it should give you, like, one of, okay. Anyway, you can figure out the averages of them using mm -hmm. it. Um, oh, you want me to figure out the average? Y yeah. If you just select it in Excel, all the things, it'll display the average at the bottom. It'll do the mean, and it'll also do counts and stuff for you. Um, so, like, I mean, if you... Okay. You have the averages? Yeah. All right. So, what's the difference in the averages? Um, I mean, the free cash flow margin is a little bit more than double, or I guess, you could, yeah. Yeah. Net income the margin. free cash flow margin is a lot higher. Mm -hmm. um, however... It seems consistently pretty high to me. In fact, very high. Mm -hmm. So the question is, what's going on there? I don't know. And this is one of the reasons why it's hard to figure out things like GE. Uh, I don't understand it, and I don't know what it's measuring. We aren't looking at their actual cash flow statement, so we can't see mm -hmm. why it has numbers that high that are so much higher than its um, reported earnings. Don't know. Interesting. In fact, if we look at other things, too, we can see that over time leverage had been coming down for a while. Now, it went up recently, but um, it wasn't having increasing leverage in terms of assets to equity is a simple way of looking at it. Um, so we don't see signs of increasing uh, problems with uh, leverage, nor poor free cash flow generation or anything like that. So it's hard to see. Um, now, there. let's see... Um, Let's go to like the uh, cash flow statement. Look at that market capitalization. So what's this? Two thousand. Mm -hmm. Well, they peaked. Four, there as one of the biggest yeah, companies. Fifty-seven billion yeah. and down to ninety-seven billion. Yeah. So if we look at the cash flow statement, we can see what um, they generate in operating cash flow, which is a pretty easy way of doing it um, over time. So if we look, this is one of the most obvious tip-offs of like the actual underlying business. I would say is the just cash flow from operations. So there is a bit of an issue here in that. When did that peak? It looks like 2008 was 48 billion. And since then? It has gone down to... Yeah. So that's a pretty yeah. easy way of looking at it. So I don't know what the net cash flow, the free cash flow number included. See, there's acquisitions and divestitures. There's net purchase of... Oh, net purchase of investment. I, I don't know all the things that's, that's in here, but... To be honest, when I look at companies and things, the w there's a few numbers that are really easy to focus in on uh -huh. that I think that are hard to kind of, not that they're hard to fake, but, but whatever. You're not usually not going to be misled by gross profits or cash flow from operations. Um, one, I don't think those are things that companies target to tell investors about. Yeah. And two, I think that they are good underlying trends of the business. Um, sometimes gross profits hold up with some companies, but cash flow from operations fall apart. 
And that maybe because their inventory is building up too much or whatever, things like that. But net cash flows from operations is a pretty good example of a thing that you could focus in on and have a good idea from, from you, you know, you see that there. So I guess maybe they decrease capital expenditures a lot at GE or something. Um, or this is calculating, including things they're getting rid of too, which I don't do. I people disagree with me on that. Look at all that net financing cash flow since 08. Just been all red. Uh, yeah. So, majority in net issuance of debt. Yeah, I mean okay. they've raised a ton of debt. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I would look at the. So if we look at net operating cash flow, right? Mm-hmm. We start in like two thousand and stuff, and you have twenty two billion or whatever. It's not an amazing trend or anything over time, but it is mostly an upward trend that is pretty fine for a big mega cap company something from 2000 to 2008 it mm-hmm. looks fine to me that way um and then you get to around the financial crisis and it drops by a tremendous amount and really has trouble recovering from there um once it peaked so let's if we look at net income too though if we look over there yeah um, we have a similar thing with net income. I mean, very flattish over time. If we go to later years, let's see. Yeah. So net income didn't really increase after the financial crisis. The relationship between net income and net operating cash flow doesn't seem tremendously different to me. Um, those are other ones. I don't know if they have those. And quick advice, we could go to key ratios. But one way is you can divide one of those numbers into another to get tests of... Um, of quality of earnings and stuff. So if you look here, we could we could do this for ourselves, but like you see the per share figures and stuff. So if you look, you could see things like um uh you know, you have like operating income and thing like let's see if we go up a little bit. Let's see. Does it have Yeah, actually most of these numbers are pretty st- stable this in going in the same direction what are you um, looking at i don't i'm not seeing a big difference in terms of conversion rates of what they have from like converting free cash flows in in uh, free cash flows compared to like things like operating income and stuff like that um so i compare net income a common one to do is net income and free cash flow you could see that in the margins obviously and I don't see dramatic differences. It's not like, I mean, there were some years where it changes a lot. So you do notice in some years, I'm not sure what that's all about because we don't have the balance sheet to, uh, we don't have the um, actual cash flow statement to look at. But for some reason, right after the financial crisis, we have very high free cash flow numbers for, compared to net income. And maybe it's because they charge off things and stuff related to finance things, or maybe it's because they cut down on like capital spending and stuff mm-hmm. after that. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and I on the Focus Compounding Podcast. Make sure you hit the subscribe button if you do want to sign up for QuickFS, which is where I pulled uh, these historical financials. Make sure you tell them you came from Focus Compounding. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for all the support, and we will see you in the next podcast.